are, Resurrection Sunday. We don't really talk about or think about doubts when we talk about Resurrection Sunday. We're usually thinking about family festivities, obviously about the Lord, about church, about is Pastor Mike going to wear his famous suit or not? You know, all kinds of things that we think about, but we don't really address doubts. And one of the verses that we're going to talk about here this morning is why do doubts arise in your hearts? But there's lots of layers that I want to unpack there. You know, when you think about the 11 disciples that are there, and we think about grief, when you lose somebody suddenly, especially in such a violent manner, they were told that it was coming, but they didn't expect it. You know, you don't really think that these things are going to happen. And when you think about losing your best friend, your mentor, your brother, when you think about losing the Lord himself, they don't know that he's coming back. They don't know that he's going to rise again. And even if they had that thought, they don't think it's possible. When you think about grief, you always ask these questions when you lose somebody. Why? Why did God allow this? Why did God take them? Why me? Why here? Why now? All these doubts begin to creep in. You have anguish and tears and fear and frustration and sorrow. And for the last three days, they've been going through this. And it's too raw for them to really have dealt with this emotion. But now, the 11 disciples are beginning to hear reports. Well, technically, nine of the disciples are hearing the reports because two have already been down to the tomb. Peter and John had their famous foot race. They were very quick to tell us in the scripture who won that one. (laughs) But they have the nine disciples, and the women are coming back, and they're saying that Jesus is alive. They're hearing it from other people. Now, this, what do you think if you're in that situation? These people have lost their minds. These people are very religious. These people are really churchy. I mean, they just believe anything that makes them feel good. At least that's what I used to think. I used to think these things. I used to have those kinds of doubts. But then you just have the personal doubts that are associated with grief. And now... Something miraculous is going to take place here in verse 36. But let's ask the Lord to share with us this morning what he would like to share with us from the Scripture. Father, we we come before you. We know that your word is alive and living, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's as alive as you are today. And we thank you so much for the work that you have completed, that you have finished this morning. Help us to take away the doubts by coming to you and receiving grace and faith in your Son alone. I pray that you minister to us in the deepest, most innermost parts, and that you would have your way with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here they are, gathered together. Excuse me, verse 36. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? Oh, to be a fly in the wall in that room. Now, the other gospels are very clear. He just appears. He doesn't knock on the door, doesn't SWAT team the room, you know, push down the door, smoke comes out. and He he just simply shows up. He's simply in the midst of them. It is impossible. It is not realistic. It can't happen unless he's God in the flesh. 
unless he is who he says he is. This is not scientifically possible, and yet it is. You know, that's a different layer of doubts. We talked about personal doubts, emotional doubts, but then we just have straight doubts. Some of us here this morning think the whole thing's a fairy tale. You're like, ah, oh, this is a nice story. This is, you know, just as good as the other movies that are made up by man. But this couldn't possibly be real. We're going to talk about those doubts as well because this singular event, the resurrection of a dead human being who said that he was going to die for the sins of the world and then conquered sin, death, and the devil is the most important event in all of creation, much less humanity. Because it's true. Now, Luke authored this gospel but we're forgetting sometimes. Luke is there. Luke was there. As he's writing these gospels, as he's writing these accounts, he says in the very beginning in verse 1 of Luke chapter 1, inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. As many as all these other eyewitnesses are writing down this story, me, another eyewitness, we want to write this story. One of the uh, facts, one of the things that we can attack our doubts, if it's a doubt of the resurrection itself, is the Gospels themselves. These unique accounts from different perspectives are all the same and yet different. They add different details to the same events. And when you overlap them together, we get a historical account. It's fascinating to me that if you uh, are a weirdo like me and you like to watch like uh, detective interviews with criminals, and they're interrogating them, and they're trying to, okay, I want you to write your story down. And then they come back later, another detective, hey, can you tell me the story again? And then they'll have a, you know, the good cop, bad cop, and then the other person comes in and says, well, it says here in your writing that you said this, but you are saying this, you know, which one of these is true? And then they catch them in it, and then they're trying to interrogate them again. But then they separate, if there's a group of them, they separate them, and they get that by the multiple where they're interrogating the multiple people separately, and they find out the truth every time. It's so entertaining. You watch that and just watch them crack, and then if you're really good, you can kind of scrub forward to where you see them crack every time. Yet these guys didn't crack, and yet they all have unique accounts that are historically authenticated. Authenticated. I'm just making words up. Authenticated. They've been authenticated over time historically accurate, unique perspectives of a singular event. But it's not just these guys. It's more than one. Now, I want to go back, though, to emotional doubts, just grief. If you're one of those disciples just wondering what in the world is going on, look at the fear that they had. Look at the doubts that they had. Look at Peter himself. Remember, he denied the Lord, and the Lord told him he was going to do it. What is he thinking? And so, of course, the first whisper that he hears that Jesus is alive, he's running to the tomb, right? Going to Jesus. This is an important work in our faith that when we're doubting, when we're broken, when we're grieving, 
when we're questioning and don't have an understanding, Jesus is at work. He's done. Because we are strong in him, not in ourselves. You know, our works are good for nothing. That's why we don't trust in them. We trust in Jesus and his bodily resurrection. Paul, another eyewitness who had witnessed Jesus on the road to Damascus, radically changed his life. He would write in 2 Corinthians 12, and he said to me, speaking of the Lord, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The power of Christ. What kind of power in Christ? What kind of infirmities? When Jesus rose from the dead, he conquered sin, death, and the devil for you and for me, personally. Personally, he made a way for a personal relationship for you, and he did the work. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans that when we were enemies with God, he died for us. When the, when the apostles and the disciples are in the room crying, mourning, going through the emotions and the grief and the doubt, Jesus is alive. He's folding up his clothes. He's having the angels move the stone. The work is done, and it's completed by faith alone in Christ alone. In our weaknesses, he shows himself strong. In our inability to do anything, he shows us that he has absolute authority over all creation. And you may be thinking to yourself, this is a great fairy tale. Show me. If God is real, show me. Well, that's the whole point. He did. That is the whole point. He did. How many times does he have to? Through the prophets, through the miracles, through the saints, through the history of Israel, through the disciples, through his, himself, giving himself and coming up from the, from the grave, to his glorious resurrection and ascension into heaven, to the acts of the apostles. You see, there's another layer of evidence that we have. We don't have the, just have the gospel records and historical records. You can trace the lineage of the church fathers. For the first 400 years, apostles and disciples, monks and teachers and pastors could trace their lineage back to the original disciples themselves. Just as I would, for example, talk about my pastor, Pastor Mark, and his pastor, Pastor Chuck Smith. And Pastor Chuck Smith would talk about his pastors. They could trace their lineage back to real historical people because people will come along today and try and, again, give you doubts Oh, the whole thing's made up. It's just a historical record. That's historically impossible. You are putting your head in the sand. You are not examining the evidence if you believe that the resurrection is made up because you can trace back the disciples, the eyewitness account, the historical and manuscript evidence, and then there's archaeological evidence as well. You see, Jesus' body disappears in the very town that they're saying he resurrected. It's one thing to say that this happened 2,000 years ago in a a galaxy far, far away, (laughs) make up some story. No, Christianity explodes in the very place that it would have been disproven, in the very time that it would have been disproven. Now, why 
Do these doubts arise in your heart, Jesus says, as he's looking at the apostles and disciples face to face. He's looking in their, in their eyes. And that's where the emotion comes in again. Imagine you're in that room. You have lost this person. You don't know where he is. If you've experienced grief of any sort in your life, if you've lost a loved one, and the waves of anguish and sorrow are coming upon you, and then imagine they're there. Jesus literally shows up there and says, why do you marvel? And they're terrified. They're scared. Good. See, they're human beings. I sometimes forget that in my mind. I think that they're superheroes, the apostles. They're human. They are, as the Bible says about Elijah, men of like passions, broken sinners that argue all the time. They fight with each other. They poke at each other. They question the Lord. They don't understand what he's doing. They're terrified when he finally shows up. He's just doing what he said he was going to do. And meanwhile, in the midst of all those insecurities, in the midst of all that fear and anguish and all that questioning and all that stuff, Jesus is alive and his work is accomplished. It is finished. It is done. In verses 39 and 40, the conversation continues as Jesus picks up, why do doubts arise in your heart? In verse 39, behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. You remember earlier I said, show me. Jesus doesn't rebuke them for this. Jesus says, okay, here, 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 look it, touch it, touch it, it's real. Now, this is important in church history because it will take less than 100 years and heretics are going to come and say that Jesus was resurrected as a spirit. He wasn't really alive. He wasn't really there. He wasn't made of matter. He wasn't flesh and blood. It's called the Gnostic heresies for the uh, Bible scholars and students here and other heresies that would come up. Luke is very clear. I was there, I touched him. I was there, he showed up out of thin air, he lectured all of us, not quite a lecture, I'm stretching it a little bit. Why do doubts arise? And then in answer to those doubts, he says, touch me, handle me, feel me. Ask and you shall find, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find. All of us need to experience the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our personal lives. Zach was sharing in the sunrise service about doubting Thomas. I'll believe him when I see him. Jesus doesn't rebuke Thomas for that. Have you noticed that? He doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't say, oh, ye of little faith, come back when you have more faith. No, he says, touch me. Here I am. Here it is. Oh, you wanted to put your finger in here? Check this out. It's fascinating to me that the Lord of all creation is like one of the bros. Look at this scar. (laughs) I don't mean that in a meaning way. He is still the Alpha, the Omega, the King of Kings. And yet he's human. He doesn't rebuke any of us for our doubts. He provides evidence for us to believe. And then when we don't believe, it says in the book of Hebrews, he is the author and the finisher of our faith. He gives us the faith even to believe. Cling to him, look for him, ask for him, search for him. Y'all, he is alive. 
He is living at the right hand of the Father. His spirit he has sent to us and lives and dwells inside of each and every one of us. He's not a famous guru or teacher or prophet, some dead man a long way away that we glean information from. He is living. He is the express image of God the Father himself. And he says that no man can come to the Father except through him. When he says to go through him, he means to go through him, talk to him, experience life with him. How joyful the disciples must be. Did they put their hands in his wounds or did they grab him and hold him in a tight embrace? I don't know. To be a fly on the wall, to experience the resurrected living Lord. See, John would talk about it in 1 John. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, verse 3, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to hold there for a second, but I want to comment. Handled, touched, seen, heard, this is real. Who's John talking to? To people that have never seen the Lord. They've never seen Him resurrected. This is removed from that area in that time. Decades later, but they're sharing the same message. The reason I left this up is I want you to see the last portion of verse 3 there. And truly, our fellowship, that's you and me, we're included. Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Do you realize what John is saying there? He's saying that you have the same fellowship that he did with God by faith alone in Christ alone, that he had touching him. I want want you to think for a moment. John, John knows what Jesus' hair smells like. Think about that. I mean, that's knowing a person. He knows what his clothes, what that robe feels like, the texture. He knows if the Lord has a mole. He knows what the Lord's smile is like. He knows if the Lord is a sloppy eater or not. Is it a sin to be a sloppy? We know he's sinless. I don't think it's a sin to be a sloppy. It is possible. We don't know. I want to refer back to Thomas. When the Lord didn't rebuke Thomas, he said, Blessed are you, for you have seen. Blessed. Happy are you. Deep contentment you have, because you have touched me and you've seen me and you believe. But blessed are those who have not seen and believe. I haven't seen but I heard the message the same way you did from someone who heard the message the way that we heard it, who heard it from somebody else, who heard it from somebody else, who heard it from somebody else, all the way back to the original disciples themselves who heard it from Jesus himself, who said, why do doubts arise in your heart? Here I am, touch me, feel me, I am alive. And it's going to radically change their lives. It's going to radically change the trajectory of all of humanity and all of human history from now until his glorious return. The message of the gospel 
that he literally rose from the grave. This is not poetry. This is not philosophy. This is not theology. This isn't an intellectual exercise. This isn't a thesis statement. This is a fact that a man who died and was put in the grave for three days rose again. And the message of that has made its way throughout all of human history ever since. Because it's more than a slogan. It's more than a statement. Listen, it's more than an idea. He is the living Lord. And as they touch him and as they, they heal, hear him, they touch him, they feel him, they're listening, verses 41 through 43. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? Amen. So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. I just, I cannot, I'm so amazed. When you spend time with the Lord, to know the Lord is to love the Lord, and to love the Lord is to want to know him even more. What's his answer to all this? They're weeping for joy. They don't believe it. They're astonished. He says, so what's for lunch? And they eat together. There's some important things here, though. Why does Jesus... The Logos, the truth, say here in time immemorial, because his word never changes, I want us to all have a meal here. What is he trying to communicate to us throughout time? That he's not some phantom. He is literally alive again. And he's going to address the heretics and the critics and, and those that the enemy is going to use to try and corrupt the gospel because the gospel can't be stopped, so they try and corrupt it. And John and Luke are very, very clear. No, this is no phantom. This is no illusion. This is no mass hysteria if some PhDs try to put out. What kind of silliness is that? No, they ate. And not only did they eat, I just want to put out there for the boys here, it's protein in a dessert. Let's keep it, keep it biblical, fish and honeycomb. And so they eat together. You know, I worked for the government for a time, and there was some, some top secret stuff there. Um, I should say secret. It wasn't top secret, but, you know, just basic secret stuff. And it amazed me that everybody knew about the secret. You can't keep secrets. You know, Charlie Campbell on his website, alwaysbeready.com, if you have um, doubts about the resurrection, I highly go there. He's got a whole page of different references of all kinds of defenses. But he quotes Charlie, Charles Colson. No idea who that guy is. But I know that he's involved with uh, the Watergate situation and some faiths of action. So Watergate, for those that are young here, have no idea what we're talking about. A president lost his job because of this situation that got on in the press. And it's evidence for the resurrection. How, you might ask. Great question. Glad you all asked that. (laughs) I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. This is awkward. All right, well, how did this happen? How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, and they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world. They couldn't keep it alive for three weeks. (laughs) You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. We've already proven that they're historical individuals. They were real. 
historically proven. There's more evidence for the existence and authenticity of the 11 disciples than there is for Shakespeare himself. Several centuries later, closer to our time, and yet there's more historical evidence for it. Again, we already talked about how you can trace the founding father's lineage all the way back to them, these real historical figures, and it is impossible for all of them to go in separate ways, dying torturous deaths, separated from each other, all professing the same thing, that Jesus was in that room and said, touch me. Now in verses 44 through 49, after lunch, then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. This message of the resurrection is not just for us. We are to experience it. We are to hear it and receive it. We are to question it. Yes, as a Christian, we're called to question it. Peter says, make your calling and election sure. We're not supposed to believe everything that's told to us. But when we examine the evidence, when we question the Lord and we say, Lord, you know, show me, not with, not testing him, but simply reveal to me as you see it revealed, just like Thomas. Jesus said, blessed are you. Put your hand in here. There are people here, if you haven't experienced Jesus yourself, who have personally experienced that which they have never seen. I can testify of times where I have sensed the Lord's presence, his miraculous intervention, his speaking to me in his word, the presence of his Holy Spirit in my life, miraculous things that are not possible. Namely, that I'm up here in my marriage. Miracles. (laughs) Unexplainable. It's the power of the Holy Spirit of our resurrected Lord. Yes, he is alive, he is living, and he is working today. Peter explains it in 2 Peter, very close to the end of his life, where he's crucified on an X, just like the Lord, professing to his last moments the truth. Very close to that, he writes, For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How can you say that, Peter? For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, that you know and are established in the present truth. Underline present truth. Yes, I think it right, as long as I am in this tent, he's speaking of his body, to stir you up by reminding you, verse 14, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. That's how he has faith to endure his cross. He knows he will rise again. But Peter's buried somewhere. His ashes are in the, gr- in the ground somewhere. The 11 disciples, the 11 apostles, 12 if you want to count Paul. Well, 13 if you want to do Matthias and Paul, but that's a discussion for another day. 
Their bodies are in the ground. But Jesus' tomb is empty. But just as Jesus had showed them that, they had, that he had power over sin, death, and the devil, Peter says, I am soon going to die. I'm going to cast off this tent. And I want to remind all of you that didn't see what I saw, I'm going to rise again just as Jesus Christ showed me. Not as he taught me, not as he made me feel, not because he was super popular and he fed people. No, he showed me that there's life after death. We always have doubts when a loved one dies. Where did they go? What happened? Why now? Where did they, what happened? Do we really live afterwards? Is this really true? Is this really going to happen? Peter, John, the other apostles don't have this problem because they have seen it with their own eyes. They've literally seen it, and we are to share that and to continue to share that. And Jesus will open our eyes. He'll give us understanding to the word of God through the Holy Spirit that he promised, and it did descend. It is here presently and will be with us until his glorious return once again. Charlie Campbell, I I said we were on his website earlier. This is his quote. He says, friends, I don't know why he talks like that, but he does. At this very hour, the cremated body of Siddhartha Gautama, now known as the Buddha, lies in a grave at 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 the foot of the Himalayan mountains. Muhammad, the founder of Islam, is buried in Medina, Saudi Arabia. Joseph Smith is buried in Nauvoo, Illinois. And Charles Darwin is buried at Westminster Abbey in London. They are all dead, and their graves are occupied. Only Jesus Christ proved that what he said was true by rising from the dead. You may have one last doubt. Well, they just stole his body. They just took his body. Guarded by Romans with a seal, impossible. And all they had to do was to get a couple of people in the inner circle of disciples and apostles to say they had taken the body, not a one. All they had to do was through basic detective premise, find the information, show them the body, show them the burial site, and none of this would have happened. You and I would not have been sitting here. There were many other false messiahs in that time, many upon many upon many. And yet Jesus, who never led an army, he never personally wrote a book, he never held office, he was never a professor at some uh, magnificent institution, he was a poor man with a few followers through this singular event and his miraculous three-year ministry has changed the lives of billions upon billions of souls. This poor man, he said he had nowhere to lay his head, no change of clothes. Yes, Jesus is alive. And the testimonies of these individuals shows it to be true. And we are filled with the Holy Spirit that comes along and acknowledges that and taps upon your heart and kicks upon the the goads of your heart as Paul learned on the road to Damascus, and comes alongside and says, Amen. So I ask you what Jesus asked, why do doubts arise in your heart? Well, there's an enemy, and he'll throw fiery darts at you, these thoughts of this can't be real, this can't be true, it's too good to be true. It is too good, but it is definitely true. And there's a mountain of evidence. But again, 
It's for a purpose. This is not just for us, verses 50 through 53. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. And they will go and, and they will receive the Holy Spirit and they will go into all the world and preach the gospel. Jesus told them, as it's recorded in the other gospels, go into all the world and preach the gospel. What is the gospel? The good news. What is the good news? That he who died rose again and says, if you believe in me, you will rise again also. And it's a fact. It's a historical, scientific fact based on eyewitness evidence, manuscript evidence, archaeological evidence, historical. Did I say historical already? All these different evidences that come together to point to us that there is no way this is not true, and you can trust your eternity. You can trust your present with the living God. No, it's not a fairy tale. It's not a TV special, not a great movie, not a novel. There is no reason for us, if we have an honest examination of the events of the Resurrection Sunday, the Resurrection Week, there is no way that we can honestly come to the conclusion that Jesus is not alive. And so we can leave here this morning encouraged, knowing that, yes, doubts arise in our hearts, but our Lord says, here, touch me. Here, feel me. Ask me. Speak to me. I will show you. I will reveal to you who I am. And he will never leave us nor forsake us, ever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. These apostles and disciples, Lord, broken and weeping, and yet you just show up. I pray you would just show up this morning in our hearts through your word, coming of your spirit, your second coming, Lord. However you see fit, we want more of you and less of ourselves, Lord. Help us to go through the rest of this week the rest of this month, the rest of our lives, proclaiming that you are alive and living it out, Lord, until we too embrace you the same way as the disciples and apostles, Lord. When we too will know what the smell of your hair is. When we too know what it is to be in your presence and to feel you and to sense you. Until then, Lord, empower us and encourage us to spread this good news to all the world. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, come on up. We'd love to speak with you and pray with you. If you need prayer, we'll lay hands on you. There'll be brothers and sisters up front and in the back. There is plenty of food. We want you to hang out in fellowship with us. Share about what the Lord's doing in your life. God bless you and have a wonderful week.